Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 258 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 11th, 2013, only a few days until Valentine's Day, so men, make sure you go out there and get your woman something nice. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast, post-signing day, lots and lots of USC news, not even talking about what was going on with the, the recruiting class, but coaching changes. There's so much going on. We're going to have Dan Weber on a little bit later on the show. We have Coach Harvey Hyde right now in the first segment. We're going to talk to both of those guys about what's been going on around the USC program. If you have any questions or comments, we do love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call us at 206-888-6755 and leave a voicemail. Uh, you can also go to peristylepodcast.com, our webpage, and leave a voicemail right on the side of the page, right from your computer. So it's pretty cool. But anyway, like I said, we have Coach Harvey Hyde, the very first segment. Lots to get to. What's going on, Coach? How are you? Ryan, everything's wonderful. And uh, now we have recruiting behind us. And now we move forward into off-season conditioning. We move into, which uh, is now a big thing at USC, coaching changes, coaching staffs, what offense you're going to run, all the different techniques and what you're going to teach in the spring, and then you have spring practice. I don't have the exact date yet on when spring practice is starting, but I think the spring game is April the 13th, so they've got to get that in during that period of time. But, um, well, here we go. Let's uh, get started. All right. Uh, Southern California Tickets is our sponsor. I wanted to thank them, sctickets.com, or call 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. You can watch the Clippers, who are Heating it up again. The Lakers are starting winning some games, too. Uh, the Kings have not been winning too many games, but they are the defending Stanley Cup champion. So locally or anywhere where you live, check out sctickets.com, and they'll help you out. And Coach, I uh, wanted to start off because the, the coaching changes are, are a big deal. Uh, four coaches are no longer with the program. Uh, Lane Kiffin has hired one. Uh, defensive coordinator Clancy Pendergast and David in, in the Orange County he wants to know what the hell is happening with the coaching situation at USC. Why are they all leaving? Is Lane Kiffin that hard to work with? Well, I don't know if they're all leaving on their own. Right. <laughs> I think that uh, some have been uh, suggested as far as to leave. Now, I don't know, but it seems that way. Uh, yeah, well, Sanders, like Coach uh, Palomalu, I mean, I think Lane Kiffin announced he didn't say fired. But for Marvin Sanders and Coach Palmalu, that it was USC's decision to, to let those guys go. Right. Okay. Then we know that for sure. And then Monty Kiffin, I think, left in the best interest of the programmer's son because of the controversy as far as the play of the defense. And then goes to the Dallas Cowboys, Scott Hazelton. Goes to the University of Nevada at Reno for coordinatorship, which I think is a nice move for him. It also opens up a coaching position for the new defensive coordinator. And uh, we march on. Uh, the latest uh, change with Kenny Palomal, I think, is going to cause most uh, of the 
disruption in the USC family as well as the football program and just the overall feeling of USC football uh, because of his popularity. And if you got to remember the way he came to USC, he came to USC from Tennessee Titans. He had signed a contract there. He left. They wanted to keep him. They went all out. The Titans sued USC. They settled because he's a true Trojan. I mean, he's played there. He's coached there. He's been on a couple of staffs there. He's won, I think, a national championship there. I don't know that for sure, but I'm assuming that. And he's a, a, a tough guy, a, a tough, a Trojan, you know, big on big type of guy. He wants to be physical. And I think that uh, during his time, uh, uh, I don't know if he agreed with all the philosophies, but they didn't run the football as much as he would have liked to run the football. And I think there became a little bit of a friction between the two. I think where it really started and ended, not started but ended, is was at the Sun Bowl. When uh, during this period of time of uh, preparing for the Sun Bowl, him and uh, Helton were given the okay to call plays, and then all of a sudden they didn't call plays in the Sun Bowl. And I think Kenny uh, probably maybe said something or did something or uh, politely suggested something. I don't know. I really don't know. So I can't say. But obviously being a Trojan like he was, he went through. Uh, the recruiting period, and they recruited two top backs in Davis and Isaacs. <clears throat> then they announced that he's leaving. Now, you know, I really don't, can't figure out what they're doing at USC when you talk about coaching staffs because they let Bonnie Kiffin go before recruiting. They let Sanders go before the national letter of intent, which probably cost them Ramsey. I think it cost them Ramsey when Ramsey went to Florida. And then they wait. Hazleton, I understand that. He had to get to his new staff and start recruiting. That's something you do. Then you let Palomala go after National Letter of Tent Day. Uh, and then you hire Clancy Pendergrass late. It wasn't like he wasn't available earlier. Was he a third choice? Was he a first choice? What choice was he as far as at USC? So there's always that question as far as in the hiring of the coach. Now, I'm not trying to be critical of Pendergrass because he's, he's an outstanding coach, and I don't want to get into that evaluating coaches because that's not my job in this situation. Uh, I can talk more strongly about that later after the football season starts when I watch spring practice and see what's being taught and if they have the players to run what they're teaching. But it seems to me very odd, first of all, when you look at the coaching staff at this time, you're about three weeks away or so from spring practice, and you've got all, what, three or four openings on your coaching staff where you have to get these guys in. They have to have a period of time to become acquainted with their players. They've got to find out what offense and defense they're going to run. So I really wonder what the heck is going on. And when you look at the coaching staff, who on the coaching staff? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. Okay. Is there a USC football player or a graduate or coach or anything on the football staff anywhere? I don't know. Uh, and I think, well, I know that when the first first thing I did, when I, when I put my staff together, I always hired somebody that had played there, that had bled Cardinal Gold. In my situation, it was Scarlet and Silver to, to, to be my representative of 
UNLV when I was the head coach there, or at USC, you've got to have some guys. Even Orgeron, as popular as he is, didn't play at USC. Right. No one no one on the, the uh, full-time staff, but you got a guy like Ross Cumming. If, you know, he was a graduate assistant, and uh, he played at USC. So you do have some, but like, like you said, no one that knows the old-school USC like Kenny Palomalo did. Right, and, when, and why this is important. Okay, let's say, why is this important? Because, first of all, if Brad Buddy or Ron Yeri or somebody comes to practice, they could stand there and those guys wouldn't even know who they were. Or an ex-coach, Hudson Howe, offensive line coach, or just go through it all. And they would stand there and no one would recognize him. No one would say anything. No one would give him the Trojan welcome. And I think that's not the way it's supposed to be. I think they're supposed to be greeted. They might even be called over and have them talk to the team. And, and talk about the past and what it means and to be a Trojan and all of these different things. Well, right now it's tough for anyone on the staff to talk about what it means to be a Trojan. So I think it's very important. Now, I don't know who he's going to hire, but I, I hope they know what they're doing. Are they clearing the path for a new offensive coordinator? Do they know what they're doing as far as the hiring? Is Lane Kiffin going to call a place or not going to call a place? Uh, you know, the, he says he is. Are they going to have a new offensive line coach or not? What I mean, what's the big secret? I mean, why not come out and say what the plan is so the people know exactly what is going on? There seems to be always a secret, even a secret in hiring Pendergrass. There was a secret till the last. There was rumors to get out because of services like yourself. You're the one that broke the story about Kenny Palamala, congratulations to you. Uh, oh, thank you. And then they have a press conference saying, oh, we've let him go. He's no longer a part of the USC Trojan football staff. I mean. It was just a quick uh, statement, Coach. It wasn't even, it was like one line. There was no explanation. Uh, there wasn't a press conference yet. We haven't even got to talk to Clancy Pendergast yet. It's really weird what's going on. It's, it seems like they're keeping everything very tight. Yes, that's, that's exactly what my point is. Well, you know, I think that people who write big checks and people are Trojan fans, or how about the Trojan alumni football players that have played there? I think, and even the current players. How about if you're a current player at USC or a parent at USC or a player that just signed at USC? Wouldn't you like to know a little bit about the football program? So I think things have got to get the order. And I don't know who's calling the shots. I'm assuming it's Coach Lane Kiffin. I don't know if it's Coach. I'm not going to call him Coach Pat Hayden yet. <laughs> well, he was during recruiting. He was on the road. <laughs> he, 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 yeah, he was. So uh, I don't know exactly who it is or what it is, but I gave you my description of an athletic department that needed to get the football program last week when I used my description of the heart in the body. The football program is the heart of the athletic department. And everything functions, but it functions better when the heart is functioning strong and it's healthy. And right now, that's, that's not happening. And by the way, I've got to congratulate Bob Cantu. Oh, yeah. He, he, I mean, to have that victory, uh, three wins in a row, I, I congratulate him. And I think the basketball team is really playing well and loose and and uh, I don't know how they finished the season. They go to Cal and Stanford this weekend. But right now, since he's taken over, I think he's done a great job. And I just want to say that at this time when I thought of it. So uh, that's what I think about 
what's happening as far as with the coaching staff. Last week we closed our segment by saying I was going to tell you what I would have done with the coaching staff at that time, but now since now Kenny's gone, I'd have to think about it for a moment, but I could still talk about that if you want, but we'll answer some of the questions of some of these other uh, callers and, and people who have emailed you. Yeah, we could. I mean, that's a that's a good point, Coach. I mean, and to me, there's a lot of options. We're trying to put together a offensive coordinator hot board like we've done for the defensive coordinators and even head coaches stuff in the past, and it's really difficult because we're not sure is it going to be an offensive coordinator that is a real offensive coordinator that calls the plays? Is it going to be an offensive line coach that also has the title of offensive coordinator and you use that to hire him, but he won't be, he'll be a similar role to what Palomalu was where he doesn't, um, doesn't call the plays. Are they going to move? Is James Craig staying at the offensive line? Is he moving somewhere else? Are they going to hire a tight ends coach? Are they going to, I mean, there's a lot of different options for Lane Kiffin on where they bring in. There's three assistant coaching positions open and we really only know one of them, what it's going to be. And that's the, the linebacker coach. I mean, it could be a, the other two guys are on offense and you you only have three defensive coaches. They only have two defensive coaches right now. So I mean, they're, they're, the weird thing is, Coach, there's a lot of options for Lane Kiffin. And it really depends on, is he going to be the guy calling the plays or not? Because that changes how you hire people. So maybe get your thoughts on that, how, how you think the, the coaching, you know, how it should all shake out and where guys should go. Well, let me put it to you this way. If I'm Coach Lane Kiffin, okay? Okay. If I'm Coach Lane Kiffin, this is what I do. If I'm Harvey Hyde, I'd do it differently. But I, I, I but this is the way, and, it's, and I'll pretend I'm Coach Lane Kiffin. Okay. The first thing I'd say, I'm getting criticized pretty strongly in my play calling. And I did have a coordinator that really wasn't a coordinator. It was by title only. Maybe I could pay him more because of that. And maybe that would open up doors for him to get a head coaching job <clears throat> because of his title. I elevated Orgeron up to uh, assistant head coach. Gave him a pay raise. Why? He wasn't going to be the defensive coordinator, so I had to make sure that Coach Ed Orgeron was a part of our staff because he was the backbone of our recruiting. And he has been, no matter where he's been. So, I mean, a lot of people say a lot of people are great recruiters, but he's a great recruiter, okay? So, the next thing, you, you look at currently where you are with your staff, and you go from there. First of all, if I'm the head football coach, I want to become a head football coach, and if I'm going to hire an offensive coordinator, I'm not going to handcuff him. I'm going to tell him you're the offensive coordinator, but I have to hire an offensive coordinator that is going to run a pro-style attack because that's what my quarterbacks are currently right now. But I've got to implement my quarterbacks into the offense more as far as pass run options, bootlegs, different type of things, option where my quarterbacks can stretch the field, yet throw the ball, run draws, put my backs into the passing game, more or less like the West Coast offense, and don't rely on just stats winning football games. I've got to get an offensive coordinator that's going to make my offense a tougher type of physical type of offense. Can I do this overnight? Maybe not. Maybe I don't have those type of players in my offense. But what I do have, I'm going to make it happen. And I'd give him full range. I would support the offense as much as the defense as a head football coach. I would know the names of every single player on my team. I would personally talk with every single one of the players in my office to make sure how things are going. I would have contact with their parents continuously. I would know exactly 
how my football play of team was moving along. So that means I hire an offensive coordinator. Now, do I put him on the offensive line? Not really. I think it's very difficult for an offensive line coach to be an offensive coordinator because he's got to work with the passing game as well as the running game. I would probably put him into uh, Coach uh, Palomala's position, which is the running backs, because I think most coordinators coach either the quarterback or the running backs. Now, if he wants to coach, Coach Kiffin wants to coach, then he's got to create another position as far as letting someone else go. I'm not going to suggest who that is on the offensive side of the football, but he would have to do that. If he wants to coach the quarterbacks, then it's Clay Helton. If he wants to coach the tight ends, then you know who it might be. And then you bring in a tight end coach. T. Martin obviously is going to be the receiver coach. So you want to put yourself in a position where you don't get criticized for everything. And currently right now, Coach Giffen is getting criticized for not only winning and losing, he's getting criticized for play calling, the whole package. So I want to put myself in a position that I don't bring in the offensive coordinator from some program that no one's heard of. I want to bring in an offensive coordinator like from Alabama. Maybe not their offensive coordinator, but a guy that runs their offense, but it certainly is the same type of offense Lane Kiffin wants to run, but runs it successfully and dominates with the run as well as the pass. I would go out and find out somewhere, someone, money not being a problem, to hire me someone that's going to bring me something that my kids are going to get excited about. Not that, oh, man, here we go again. It's got to be someone the kids see that's coming from a winning program that they get excited about, like the players they just brought in are all from winning programs. Look how many state championships Max Brown has won and Justin Davis and their success. All of them, I don't have to go through that. We're not talking about recruiting. You've got to fire up your current players with hires. You've got to fire them up. You've got to get the defense now enthusiastic on who's going to be hired on defense. Now, I think they, I don't know what their thoughts are on Clancy Pendergrass, but that didn't knock them dead. I mean, they didn't bring in a guy that plays the best defense in the country somewhere. It's difficult to justify you bringing in a guy and nothing against the gentleman. And I'm calling him a gentleman, but I don't want to say this, but did the team get excited about that? Did the recruits get excited about that? I don't think so. Did you get excited about that? I'm asking our listeners, did you get excited about that? You know, here's a gentleman that's coaching the Super Bowl, coach all these places, but his track record is he's been fired at the last three places he's been. So it's tough for an 18-year-old kid to get fired up about that. But if a kid comes in, like, or a coach comes in from somewhere that's been tattooing people and one of the top defenses in the country, even if he wasn't the full defensive coordinator, but at SC... That's the ultimate as far as getting assistant coaches, even head coaches who are defensive coordinators. It's the ultimate of being able to go out and pay the money you can pay a coach to get the best at any position that you have open. It would have been my dream come true. I'd have worked for free to coach at USC. That's the type of person you have to get. And in my thought, I would also be thinking about, I've got to hire some Trojans here somewhere. So you better go out and find some Trojans that know who the Trojan alumni are, 
who recognize past coaches, who can talk the history of USC football, and you better do this. Now, does this sound easy to do? No, but this is the position you got yourself in by bringing in a lot of people and getting rid of a lot of people that didn't have the USC heritage. There's great coaches around. There's great winning programs around. You can't surround yourself with people that aren't successful. You've got to bring in people that are successful, that have been there in the stadium when the lights have been on, that have won championships, that have played in Rose Bowls, that have played in BCS Bowl games. You've got to surround yourself with the best that there is anywhere because everyone else is. It's not easy to win. It's difficult to win. And right now, SC's got to dig itself out of a hole. They've got to change their image. They've got to change the feeling of the players. They've got to change the feeling of everyone. So I could go on and on and on. <laughs> I think I've, I've done this, and I hate to rant and rave about this, but I'm just saying if I was Coach Kiffin, these would be the things I'd be considering because it's important to have these type of people surrounding you. Well, Coach, there's a lot of stuff going on in the program, uh, and I think the, the momentum w- is swinging in a negative way. There's, there's been a lot of talk on our message boards. People aren't real happy. But there's a lot of fans that are diehard fans, and they, they're not really sure what to do. I think that's what this fan is here, so I want you to answer this voicemail question for him. Hi, Ryan. Um, this is Al from um, Los Angeles. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm in the minority, but um, I'm one Trojan fan who um, has been around USC since I was in third grade. Um, just very disappointed in the recruiting um, this coming season of not hoping for the best. Um, I read a lot of other um, Trojans who are uh, discouraged and don't know what to do. Uh, what What type of uh, advice can you guys give Trojan fans who are just totally frustrated with the lack of coaching, uh, the lack of players, um, the in- instability as far as knowing what's going to happen next? Well, Al, thank you for calling. You know, everybody sort of feels the same way you do, so you're not in the minority. And uh, well, let me put it to you this way in recruiting. You know, when you look at the overall recruiting class that USC had, You've got to be somewhat positive and negative at the same time. When you get five, four, five, five stars and the rest of them all four stars, and you know next year you have 20 scholarships, which is almost a full scholarship limitation coming in, and then you say, hey, it could be pretty good. But then you look at the negative side of it too. First of all, one thing positive I would say, when they lost Vanderdose and those other players, they didn't just go out and give those scholarships away. They don't have them to give them away. I kept talking on the shows I was doing on radio about don't give them away. As we were getting the reports, I was doing ESPN radio. I said, keep them, save them, bank them, don't panic. And then I'd go back and I'd find out what happened to us. Why did we lose Vanderdose? Why did we lose Ramsey? And why did we lose uh, Fitz? Well, I think we all know why we lost Fitz. I talked to uh, Fitz on the radio show that we were doing, and he's a tremendous kid. I even congratulated him as far as making a decision and uh, feeling good about his decision and going on. And when you look at it, I would say two of the three players that were lost were lost because of USC heirs. As far as the way the Fitz situation was handled, the way that you 
get a kid fired up in his life dream is to go to USC. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden when he's, well, I know for a fact his mother was out shopping with him to get room supplies to go to USC in his dorm when they received that call. Now, call? Are you talking about calling someone? I get in my car and I drive out there and sit down. And I say, we've got something here that's tragic. Now, do you want to make our, we think you're the type of guy that wants our football program to be better, be better and we've lost Rexfield. We can get Kurt McRae. Now, we can bring you, but let me ask you, what do you think we should do? Would you be willing to hang in there and we'll see if someone else in our program leaves like a junior fame or something. I'm not bringing that up now where we might have that extra. I am bringing it up now where we might have that extra scholarship down the road, but I understand your disappointment, but we won't do that if you don't understand it. And I'd gone there with coach Kiffin, coach Orgeron. And if I'm wrong, then I'd appreciate those coaches calling me and telling me they didn't, they did go out there and do that. If I'm wrong, you've got to break that news to someone like you care about it. You don't call them up and tell them that. And this is just what I've heard. You probably know more and you, Dan and Gerard, but this is pretty good information. So that kid wanted to be a Trojan. So I look at ourselves as saying, you know, we sort of messed this up. Then you look at Ramsey and you say, Ramsey was pretty connected with Marvin Sanders. So now what I've done is I've fired or let go my secondary coach. Why not bring Pendergrass in as a linebacker coach? Keep Sanders, let him coach Ramsey. Get Ramsey a position you really need. And why lose Ramsey? Now, when you think about that, you got to have the number one corner in America or closer to the number one corner in America. Why can't that happen? Or make the decision of letting Sanders go later or whatever. They took Pendergrass to the home for a home visit with Ramsey, and it, there was no connection there. didn't happen because Sanders and I guess Team Martin, whoever recruited him along with Sanders, didn't work. Then you look at Vanderdose. Now, here's Vanderdose, who's a kid that's a USC commit and said, as long as Ed Orgeron is going to be at USC, I'm a Trojan. Well, the last time I checked, and who knows, I haven't read that <laughs> paper today, He's still Ed there. Orgeron <laughs> is still at USC. He is, yes. Then why, what happened with Vanderdose? Now, I want to know what happened. I'm the head football coach. I want to know. What did we do here? We screwed this up. He came on his visit. He was solid. And all of a sudden, something happened. What happened? Was it on the visit? Did one of my players or the person that hosted him or one of my coaches say something wrong? I got to correct this. I would call up Vanderdose and I'd say, Ed, I want to wish you the best of luck. And I know we're going to have to play you every year. But where did we screw up? Please tell me where we screwed up or what happened to change your mind. I wouldn't be too prideful to do that. I would call him, and if he would tell me, Coach, it was because of this or that, or when I was there, a player told me that things were terrible or this or that, or Orgeron was leaving, and you knew we weren't going to tell anybody, 
or whatever. I want to know why we lost Vanderdose after he made those strong statements. I want to know that. And then go back east. So you look at those three players, and, you know, you say, well, at least two of the three I was a part of. So you got to look at it that way, yet you got to look at it, and you got to remember two of the players they got as the highest rated ever as long as they've been doing this five-star, four-star stuff in the history of all this trading system. So, you know, they came close to, to doing it, but yet they didn't. So now you got to look forward to the future, and you can't talk about it any longer. It's the last time I'm going to talk about it because you got to take what you have. you got to find a way to elevate the, the play of those other corners to take a corner spot, but you're not going to make one. you got to make one of them play. They're all four- and five-star players. If you can't make one of those guys plays, then you made mistakes when you recruited them. You got all these kids, Henderson, Seymour, Brown, uh, go on, tell me who else. I don't know who else. All Torn Harris. You got all these guys that came in as great, great recruits. Now, if they can't play, then somebody evaluated them wrong. So it's not the kids' fault, it's a evaluation process. So uh, that's where I feel on that recruiting topic. Great. 12 kids. I think uh, I like really like Rogers, Darius Rogers. Obviously, he's a strong receiver, and that's what they need. And uh, we'll see what happens. I can't wait for to see what's going to happen to the coaching staff in spring practice and see what they're doing offensively and defense. There are so many options, Coach. We just have no idea. Um, and that's why you got to stay tuned because there's going to be news breaking all the time. Uh, one last thing for you, Coach. Uh, Mac in Vancouver. What, it was a defensive question. I thought you'd be a good person to answer it. Uh, about Clancy Pendergast, he ran a 3-4 at Cal. And uh, he also ran uh, some 5-2 and 2-4-5 uh, in, the, in the NFL. And he also ran some of that at Cal. You know, he's different fronts. That's kind of what he's been known for. Um, the Cardinals did run a 4-3. And he wants to know, is USC's roster equipped to run a 3-4? And he was looking at some of the college teams that run 3-4s. Uh, what their average heights and weights were and what it is at USC. And just overlooking at it, I'm not going to – he listed all these heights and weights. I'm not going to go through all of them. But he said USC does seem to be a little smaller at nose and inside linebacker compared to the other schools that that run this 3-4 system and wanted to get your thoughts on that. That's Mac in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, You've looked at it pretty well. Uh, First of all, to run the 3-4 defense – 52 defense, whatever you call it, depends on what your terms are. You got to have a nose guard that's going to petrify the center. He's going to cave in his face mask. By the end of the game, the guy isn't going to be able to take his helmet off because his face mask is back against his face and it won't come off over his head. That's the type of nose guard you have. Uh, Antoine Woods, one of these guys are going to have to play that position where they line up and they they just do not allow that guy to drive them back. It's the same type of play that Hovey got at Stanford, okay? he got to have a guy that knocks him. As soon as he moves his hands, his fingers, to snap the ball, you watch him, you smack him. And you control that to keep your backers free. And, and, and not only that, you've got to be able to be really driving that center back to disrupt everything. you got to have that. Who that's going to be, Vanderdose would have been a great one at that because of his size and so on. 
Bigelow, I don't look at Bigelow at that position. I look at Bigelow as a tackle or defensive end, whatever you want your term you want to use, that plays on the outside shoulder of the tackle. Or if you slide down into an eagle look, he plays head on the tackle. Depending on what look you're going to do and run or stack look, he goes in the gap. It depends. But then your defensive ends or tackles, like I said, I think this is a Leonard Williams type of guy and, and Uko and also Bigelow, uh, these type of players. I don't have a depth chart in front of me, so I can't remember who's where and what. Uh, the inside linebackers have got to be physical because they're going to take on blast. They're going to take on guards that pull around and come at you. They're going to take on fullbacks and backs that are going to ISO you. And if you know what that term is, that means they block in or out, you know, double team down or whatever, and then pull a guard around or, or bring the fullback or back right at you, and the back follows and makes a break off the block. So you've got to have guys who are physical that are in there that if you're in a basic set or if you're not in gaps or whatever you're playing, that he can step up and smack that guy and take on a guard straight on. But normally you're playing more gaps where he can scrape to the position and take his gap. Not three yards down the field, but up the field where you make a tackle on the line of scrimmage or in the backfield. You can't wait. You've got to scrape. You've got to take your gap, but yet you can't over-pursue. If you over-pursue, then the play Blake breaks back on you. Those type of linebackers, I would say, which is on the roster now at USC, has got Starr, Dawson. Uh, I think Ruffin will be an outside linebacker, weak side. Uh, Bailey will probably – I'm not saying Bailey will go back to strong safety. I'm not sure – because you got to have your players in the game. Uh, Michael Hutchings has uh, played inside linebacker and really does a great job of scraping off and stepping up. He does. He plays on their side of the football. A little undersized, about 210, but I'll tell you, by, by fall, he'll probably be 220, 225. He's got good speed. He's played inside. He has experience in playing the schemes. So that'll really help him. So uh, it's going to be a very important spring. They've got to do a lot of half-line. They've got to do a lot of hitting. You can't learn new defenses walking through stuff. Hey, you've got to do half-line, short yardage. You've got to do it all live. These guys have got to learn to react to them, to move, not, not say, now, when the play comes this way, would you please step over here and make the tackle? <laughs> you know, you know that, that element, that type of teaching, uh, you know, I've never, that's never been a part of what I've taught. Uh, I like to see you get better during the week, not on Saturday. You get better during the spring, not in the fall. You, you become a football team and you unite in the spring. That's where, you know, you, 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 you put a, leave a little blood on the practice field. And, uh, and on the, this is about we can't hit, we don't got the numbers. Hey, let me tell you. Well, you got to hit. It doesn't make any difference what your numbers are, but you're not going to win. That's about it. That's great stuff, Coach. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, went a little long, but that's good. It's always fun to uh, catch up with you and talk to you and get your thoughts. So much going on. We'll be back again next week and get your, your thoughts some more. We'll see if uh, any coaches have been hired in the next week. I, I hope they have because we're getting pretty close to spring practice. Do you have a date of when spring practice is starting? They just said beginning of March, and uh, you know it'll end mid-April. So 
like you said, the, the spring game will be the 13th, but we don't know the exact day of uh, spring football yet. Wow. I'll tell you, they got to hustle it up, buddy. <laughs> yes, they <gotta> <laughs> certainly it up. do. You know, I just mentioned a minute ago how important spring practice is. I just mentioned that, and unless you get your coaches in there and they become familiar with the what you're going to run and the players, it's difficult. you got to know the player's name and create a relationship. So I hope they have a plan on what they're going to do. We'll talk about it next week. I hope all the coaches have been hired by then, and then we'll go. All right, Coach. Well, thank you for that, and we'll enjoy talking to you as always. Lots of good stuff on the podcast this week, and we still got a lot more. we got Dan Weber coming up. On the next segment, stay tuned. We'll be back in 30 seconds with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer, joining the show. There's a lot to, to talk about post-signing day. How you doing, Dan? Pretty good. Uh, hanging in there. We don't know as much as maybe we'd like to know about everything that's uh, possibly going to happen or what direction it's going. But uh, as we we always say, it never fails to uh, keep you interested in uh, – Never fails to produce uh, uh, a lot of news. It doesn't matter what time of year <laughs> at all. It's just, you know, USC football. News, 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 news all the time. Well, some of the big news. Here's the first question we have. It's a, we'll, we'll play a voicemail question on this one. Um, another coach is uh, gone from the USC coaching ranks. Here's the question for you, Dan. Hi, Ryan. This is Guy, and I'm very happy about our recruiting Small, but just tremendous class, tremendous. But I'm very, very bummed by the letting go of an institution of USC, a, a mighty institution in uh, in Kennedy Polamalu. And um, I'm just—I don't want to make it too controversial, so let me choose my words. Uh, it seems inexplicable to me that why he was let go. And save that you or or Dan or Harvey can explain it. Please try. <laughs> Have a nice day. Well, uh, guy, I I mean I think obviously it's it's kind of been in the works. Uh, uh, and as far as saying let go, it it just seemed uh, a case of uh, agreeing to disagree. That uh, Kennedy it just wasn't. Uh, all that pleased with the direction of the program in some areas and, and some that, you know, affected him directly. Uh, you know, they had, had kind of had to um, make some compromises in order to be able to offer him a position which would have been, which would have included a, uh, uh, a raise in title, you know, a coordinator's title in order to be able to, uh, with the contract situation, to get him from Tennessee to come back here three years ago. 
uh, and that was fine at the time because, you know, in effect, Lane was going to be Lane's own coordinator. And uh, so it kind of worked out really well. They weren't going to hire a coordinator anyway, but they could give uh, Kennedy the title. What it does, though, I think it made life more difficult going forward to figure out how do you, if, say, Lane is uh, going to give up the play calling reins or if he's going to give up the coordinator's duties, uh, then how do you match the, you know, those titles with uh, the new coaches? Do you take the title away from Kennedy? Uh, it, it was a limiting factor for, for sure. And some of the ways, you know, uh, Kennedy was a, a big believer in, you know, playing physical, hard-nosed football. And, yes, he had gotten away from that. I don't think there's any question. You know, Lane has said clearly you know, they're going back to it this year. So just in terms of style and the way that USC, you know, conducted conducted itself this past year, you could tell that probably, you know, Kennedy wasn't on board exactly with how things were going. Um, and, you know, since the uh, Sun Bowl, it just seems like they've just gone different directions and, that, you know, that they weren't as close in terms of, talking their way through the differences. Uh, if you're going to offer the, uh, you know, Stanford, uh, you know, line coach and run game coordinator, the title of offensive coordinator at USC, and, uh, you know, you basically have to take that away from, from Kennedy. So uh, and it's, it, was, it was a difficult situation. I mean, making it most difficult is probably uh, how well-respected and well-liked he is by the players. Uh, it was just – he was a guy they really identified with. Obviously, he was um, a guy who, you know, connected the, the USC tradition. You know, the lone, uh, you know, full-time staffer, the lone, uh, you know, former Trojan player. So it's a difficult, it's a difficult issue for them to work through right now. It's not an easy place to be. Uh, you know, I, the players, I think, really. Uh, really, uh, really liked and respected Kennedy, and they're going to miss him, and uh, it's, it's no way to sugarcoat it. This is this is kind of tough. Um, I guess a follow-up to that, Dan, uh, from Melvin, I, the, the rumors, there were rumors about Palomalo. We ended up breaking that uh, on Friday that he was uh, out, and then USC announced it officially on Sunday and said that Lane Kiffin let him go. Um, the, other, the other name that comes up, and this is from Melvin, he says, Dan, are we going to lose Coach Orgeron to the pros as some rumors have surfaced, if you want to talk about that? Well, I, uh, that'd be a total shock. I, I didn't think he was all that uh, enamored with the pros. I mean, you know, there's no recruiting in the pros, and, you know, nobody does that better. Nobody enjoys it more. Nobody seems to really, uh, you know, just love the – you know, the interaction with kids and parents and going to visit, you know, people in their homes and just, you know, that's just so much of what, what Ed does so well. And, uh, you know, I didn't get the sense, you know, he had the one year at New Orleans, I didn't get the sense that he was very, uh, very excited about that. So, you know, there are so many rumors about things that just probably aren't, you know, I can't even imagine where, where people think them up, but, uh, you know, these are people that, that you know, aren't talking to anybody. Uh, you know, I, I would be unbelievably shocked if something like that 
happened, and, and, and that would be that would be a problem, to say the least. But uh, I I just don't see I don't see Ed as an NFL guy. It, it just doesn't seem to be where his uh, his uh, strengths lie as a coach, or where his his love. Uh, for what he does as, as a coach, uh, uh, you know, would be best served. Yeah, I think if if Ed Orgeron left, it would be to get a head coaching job, probably in college. But that that's not likely at this point. I, I've heard that one a lot, Dan, and just didn't seem like there was any truth to it. Certainly, the Palomalu stuff, you know, we had heard rumblings for a while, and the writing was sort of on the wall. But it does not seem like that's something that's happened. I don't know where the Orgeron stuff came up, but it seems like one of those. Twitter things. Every time someone tweets it, it's never anyone that has credibility, you know. So yeah, I, I, no, that that one that, that seems disconnected. You know, every once in a while, I guess something comes in from left field, and then you think, wow. But this one, that that would be certainly one of those. It just didn't see that coming or whatever. I, I just I I would not give that one credibility. I think you know some of the things that have happened. You know, you kind of knew they were they were probably going to happen and they were probably in the works and there was probably nothing you could do about it i know you know the the kennedy thing kind of you know maybe dragged on and 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 maybe went in one direction and the other uh for a little bit and you weren't really sure which way it was going to go till really the end of last week uh but you knew it was kind of headed that way probably but that would be one of those ones that is so totally out of uh, where anything seems to be headed. And, yeah, a coach would definitely, Orgeron would definitely like one more shot. I think he didn't probably get the fair shot at Ole Miss in the three years when he got all the players there, and then, you know, they brought Easton Nutt in to take advantage of it. He did make, you know, he knows, uh, you know, as a first-time coach, uh, there are some things he wouldn't do again, and he'd probably like to, you know, prove that if he ever got a chance. But, uh, but that's the only way that I would see him, him leaving. Uh, let's go to Rundy. It's a little bit of commentary. He wants to get your thoughts on this. He said, uh, Lane Kiffin is many things, but he's not stupid. He knows that the upcoming season is his last chance, and if he fails, he'll be forever uh, relegated to level B coaching jobs. Therefore... He's going to do everything in his power to win. So if, if he thought it was best to let Paul Malo and Sanders go, you can bet it's because he thinks he can bring in guys who are better coaches and recruiters. Secondly, the abuse directed at Kiffin is abominable. He's just a man doing the best he can. Sure, last season was a disappointment to all, but it's time to move on. By all accounts, he's a really nice guy, great family man, has a, a brilliant football mind. He is our coach, and the ridicule and lack of support by USC fans is shameful. USC is one of the most prestigious academic institutions in America, and it's time the fans start acting like it. Do you agree or disagree? That's Rundy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think when you get into the uh, area and you use terms like uh, uh, that Lane is being abused or that, that criticism is shameful, then I think you've crossed the line. I, I just don't think that, that he has any place. Lane's not being abused. And, uh, you know, what's happening isn't, isn't shameful. It's one of the great, you know, the handful of absolutely great college football jobs in America. You know, it's one of the great universities, one of the great programs in one of the great cities with one of the great traditions with the most players that have ever gone to, you know, gone to the NFL, the second most bowl games and, 
you go on and on and on. Most Hall of Famers, all the kind of you know NFL Hall of Famers, uh, first round draft picks, all that stuff. Uh, overall draft picks, you name it. A program like that deserves an absolutely top of the line coach, not somebody that's learning on the job. Now, there are special circumstances because of the uh, the NCAA sanctions that came in afterward and it's wonderful that you know lane you know came in had a plan uh has done some really good things uh you know in terms of executing that plan but there have you know there are some gaps this last year almost could not have gone worse i mean you know if you want to look for example let's just give a little example of the basketball program that program would have been better without a head coach uh, <laughs> this year. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, no doubt. It's, just, it, it's, a, it's a crime that they had to suffer through the mistakes of that head coach for the last two years since he gave them a chance to go in a different direction. Uh, probably still – I mean, I don't think it's out of line to say they might have the most talent in the Pac-12 uh, in terms of athletes. Uh, that And they're, you know – even with all the residue of the Kevin O'Neill era uh, behind them and all the things they have to unlearn and what have you, they still, you know, now that they're just allowed to play, uh, they're doing, doing pretty well. I think this year in football, uh, it's tough enough when you've got to overcome this or that or the other thing, but when you've got to overcome your own mistakes and your own bad judgments and poor use of personnel and uh, inability to, you know, run, you know, inability to hold on to the football. You know, only three teams in the country had more turnovers. With a veteran, talented team on offense, that's inexcusable almost. I mean, things, things went so awry uh, that uh, you have to question. If you don't question what happened, uh, with the USC football team this year, I don't think you are a good fan. I don't think you really um, care enough about the program. Is it irrevocably damaged? Maybe not. Could they get it turned around by next year? Maybe. Maybe. They got it turned around the second half of last season, the 2011 season. Uh, so you can't say it can't be done, but they can't keep, you know, can't make mistakes. And I don't know if you can have six new coaches over a little bit of a year's time and still have any the kind of continuity that that the team needs, that the players need, the identification, you know, with who are we and where are we going. And, uh, I mean, this is the coaching staff that just, uh, you know, a couple of months ago when they're putting together the, the brochure for the Nike Coaches Clinic uh, this weekend, they were calling it, the dream team and the best coaching staff in America. And now three of them are gone. Uh, what does that say? Uh, there are some serious, serious issues, and, and, and they really start at the top, and they really have to get it together. You said you opened with a quote that I, <laughs> I've i used a lot over the years. Lane's not a dumb guy. Lane's smart enough to figure this out. The question is, we're – you know, does you think, for example, 
uh, and I'll give the example of, of, of the first two weeks of getting ready for the Sun Bowl, when it was a much more cooperative effort uh, among the coaching staff and, and running practices, and the players really responded to it and having all the offensive coaches running the offense and Lane uh, observing as sort of the head coach at a distance and involved in all a- aspects of, of, of practice. And then they reverted in the final week, go to El Paso, uh, Lane had admitted all through the uh, first couple of weeks of ball practice how well things were going, how they were having the best practices of the year. It certainly looked like the players wanted to make up for, uh, you know, how the season, the seven and five season, and losing four out of their last five. And they get to El Paso, and uh, the reversion to kind of the mistakes of, uh, you know, that it had put them where they were makes you think, okay, Lane is a smart guy. But they went back to what kind of got him here. Why? Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. And, you know, one of those things, you know, that I think, for example, Kennedy Palomalo was a way, way more active and, and able to be a better coach in the kind of cooperative way that they approached the first two weeks of ball practice with all the coaches really involved in coaching. And then when it kind of reverted to, uh, you know, to pretty much Lane in charge of the offense. And uh, so, you know, you can say he's a smart guy. He's got to get really smart really fast. And it's not going to be easy, for example, to say, well, you know, the way we played defense for the last three years, we're not going to play like that at all. We're going to play completely differently in every – possible way and you think huh how smart do you have to be to have played defense three straight years completely differently from the way you're going to play it next year there's a disconnect again i mean it's it's an issue and i don't think it's wrong to point it out because it's hard to find your way back if you don't know where you are and how you got there so, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think they've got enough talent. I don't, you know, no matter what, they should be saying right now, you know what, we're going to the Rose Bowl. Who's better than us in the Pac-12 South? Who's got more talent? Who's better than us in the Pac-12? I mean, okay, so Stanford's going to be pretty good. We'll beat them in the, you know, championship game. That should be the goal. That always was the goal. And I think it should be the goal again. And they just should this sense of we're going to pull together. We know, you know, where we're going and what we're going to do and how to get there. Now there's some big hurdles to get people believing that and understanding it. But I don't think the answer is out there. It's in here. It's in themselves. They have to find the way within themselves. They have to figure it out. I don't, I honestly don't believe it's, you know, like finding another guy to hire and another guy to hire and what have you. I think Pendergast was a really good hire. I think under the circumstances, probably absolutely, you know, the best person and, and, and maybe in every way with what he's going to do and his confidence level and familiarity with the Pac-12. I mean, that just the change, one change, one coaching spot on defense makes them a whole lot better. Uh, you know, where we go from there, I don't know. But, but I don't think that's being abusive. 
uh, of the coach, and I don't think it's shameful to point any of that out. The uh, one one word of caution too to Rundy and anyone else. I think a lot of people learned their lesson with the, the Joe Paterno stuff, and when you start talking about if you're trying to defend a coach and you're talking about his stuff off the field, how he's a great this or or great that. I mean, you don't know what's going on with any of these coaches, so I don't want you, I don't want people to go off saying that. I mean, there's plenty of times where you felt that a guy was a great guy off the field, and you hear these bad things that he did, or or vice versa. He has a bad reputation, but he's actually a great philanthropist off the field. I, I don't think that should come into the discussion all that much. You're talking about him being a football coach. If you want to say, oh, he's a great guy and a family man, it's like, well, that doesn't really mean much for his coaching abilities. And, and like we said, we don't really know what's going on. We've seen things go the other way where you thought a guy, a guy was an amazing person and, and like in the Joe, Joe Paterno situation, it wasn't that way. And you make a good point too. I, I was a you know, high school coach in the Cincinnati area and, and got to know Jerry Faust, you know, and they hire him from Notre Dame hires him. And the reason they hired him is he won 9,000 football games at Muller by, you know, they beat people to death. They had the best high school program. It was ridiculous. He had 25 assistant coaches, and they were so good. Uh, I mean, he had 400 kids playing football, and uh, every, uh, you know, NFL guy that moved, you know, came to Cincinnati, you know, moved into the district. And uh, so then he goes to Notre Dame, and it's not very transferable necessarily. Not that he was a terrible coach. He didn't have to coach at Muller. He had so many, you know, coaches working for him. So he gets to Notre Dame, and they obviously, you know, run into some real trouble. And then all of a sudden you start hearing people saying, yeah, but he's got all – his players are all graduating. Well, they didn't hire him because his players were all graduating. <laughs> they hired him because he won every football game he coached pretty much, you know. And so I don't think that that becomes part of the equation. I, I really don't. And the other part of it is, we re- as Ryan said, we really don't know about all the other stuff, and we can't know, and we shouldn't know. And it surprises you sometimes how much people seem to think they know when you read some of the, you know, some of the posts where the, uh, you know, uh, with total assurity that they're right about things none of us know and they tell you oh yeah i know this and i know, and you, you know they don't know but it's it's one of the neat things about sports that people care that much believe that much and all of that but, but i do think you have to be cautious about some of the things you believe you know or some of the you know ways you think it really you know impacts what's going on here uh, you know i i think some of that it, it doesn't really matter uh you know, this is about being one of the handful of the absolute best college football coaches in America because you're at one of the handful of the very best uh, historic college football programs in America. USC deserves no less than one of the absolute great uh, leading fig- – and, and it won't work any other way. It's almost not possible to not be one of those great coaches if you're coaching at one of the great programs if you're not, you'll get eaten up. You'll get chewed up. It's too difficult. There are too many challenges to coach a program like USC and to do it right. If you aren't, uh, you know, basically the coach has to be a match for the program. If you've got a great historic, you know, top-of-the-line football program, you have to have a great historic top-of-the-line football coach. Nothing else works. All right, Dad, we've got a couple more we want to finish up uh, from Charlie. Okay. 
This is the big question, and I think we, we're going to debate this a lot. And we have a hot board coming up for the offensive coordinator. But he said LSU is conversing with, <coughs> excuse me, Ken Cameron for the offensive coordinator position. Is USC looking for an offensive coordinator, or is Kiffin going to give it the old college try again and attempt to do head coaching duties and play calling duties? That's that's the big question, Dan. What do you think? Well, I, and. and Am I mistaken? I, I almost thought LSU already hired Cam Cameron. Yeah, I think I, I think I, he did. I, I didn't see he, it like he did. I I remember. Uh, I I liked it. I covered him when I was a sports editor in Indiana, and uh, I covered Indiana Purdue Notre Dame, and he was the football coach there then. And uh, I always liked Cam. You know, poor guy got got let go in the middle of the uh, the Raven toward the end of the Raven Super Bowl season. Oh man, I mean, what a can you imagine if, if something like that happened at USC? Uh, you know, that Harbaugh was both strong enough to do it and then pull it off and make it work. That's just kind of amazing. That's the kind of coach USC needs, a guy who could be John Harbaugh and let go a guy like a good enough, uh, you know, coach like Cam Cameron and just say this isn't working and we're going this direction. That quick-footedness and nimbleness, you know, that ability to have a plan B. I think really works. Uh, that's the question we don't know. We you know, and we don't know. I think one of the, the issues that's going to be going forward is how are these decisions being made? If you notice the statement about Kennedy Palomalu, three times in there, it said it didn't say ah. It was it was a quote from Lane, but the quote had started with we. You know, we're evaluating it, and we think you know this, and we this. And it does sound like, and then from what we've heard, uh, there were more people involved in not to, we don't even know about the decision-making process, but in the process itself, it seemed more of a group decision or a, a collective kind of a decision. One would think that probably there are more administrative people getting involved with the coaching decisions now than maybe in the past. Uh, that wouldn't be uh, an unwise thing to do. However, you know, how how hard is it to pull off being a head coach at a program like USC if other people are going to be involved in some of the key decisions going forward? It's a it's a dilemma, you know. If you say the person needs, you know, some kind of you know strong uh, guidance or, you know, you know, all decisions aren't necessarily just going to be the decision of the head coach. My guess would be, for example, at Alabama, Nick Saban does not have to ask the athletic director or get involved with the athletic director in terms of who his next uh, offensive coordinator is going to be or running back coach. Uh, so that you know, you could say it's a good thing that more people are involved in the decision making. You know, for USC football right now, you know, we'll see how that works. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it could go a lot of different ways, Dan. I mean, it's just really hard to say at this point that it could be another running backs coach, offensive coordinator, name only. It could be a complete offensive coordinator that maybe handles some positions and calls the plays. It could be someone. Well, internal. I, I love the idea. I thought the first idea was great. You can get the uh, Stanford running game coordinator, line offensive line coach. Oh, there's a home, now you know mixed uh, sports uh, you know metaphors. There's the home run hire. 
uh, if you can bring in the guy to be your coordinator, you give him a, a, a raise in title, and he also addresses your offensive line issues. Oh, man. And he comes from a program where the attitude is the way Stanford's attitude is right now about things. Uh, that, you know, is there another guy like that, Tom Cable at, uh, at Seattle, you know? He, you know, he took over after Lane at Oakland, and and the two don't seem to be, you know, you know, I don't know how many of those other guys are there who were kind of combined that offensive line coaching experience with the uh, uh, offensive coordinator, you know, position, or there aren't even that many that do the running back uh, offensive coordinator position. If you could get somebody like that, my guess is it's going to be a group decision. There to be a group, uh, you know. If I had to guess right now, it'll be a group effort by people that might actually already be on the staff. It's just, I mean, we still don't know for sure who's going to call the plays, all that kind of thing. I mean, I, I, I would think it, it, it would be more challenging than you can imagine for USC to go out and get, uh, we were kidding about, should, they, should we put Dennis Erickson on the list? And Dennis Erickson got hired this morning by Utah. I don't know. That would have been an interesting way to go. Do you bring in, you know, somebody like that? Uh, that might have been, uh, you know, a thought. All right, Dan, a couple more, and we will finish up uh, the Peristyle podcast for this week. I'm getting this a lot, and uh, we put this in the war room. Um, but Hiram wants to know, can Abe Markowitz go back on scholarship? Well, that was always the question, and it wasn't ever clearly explained. And, and I think uh, the War Room uh, Friday is the clearest one so far where, you know, it really doesn't look like he can. And there have been all sorts of iterations from compliance and from his original conversation with Lane and our, our later conversation with Lane and then, you know, I asked Lane the other day at the signing day news conference, and he specifically tried to say there will be more opportunities for walk-ons for scholarships, but he obviously avoided using Markowitz's name. What it looks like happened is in order to get the six early entry kids, USC had to certify that they had six places available. The only way they could do that to get to six, they had to certify not just that Abe, Abe's, uh, uh, he had great, they had the only way his scholarship was available was if he graduated. So they had to declare Abe had graduated, which he had, but basically they also had to declare that his career is over. He's finished. Now, the problem there is, here's a kid who lost two years, and probably there were really some serious issues with the improper shoes that he was being asked to wear, the incorrect size, and, and, and kind of a shoe that he had. And he broke both feet one year and then the next year. And he got you know, some real specific issues that he needed to have handled. Well, USC handled those correctly this year. Got him the right shoes. He did fine. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, they were in a different – it was similar to the Kylie Fitz situation. 
they thought they might have those extra couple of scholarships uh, and have two kids that don't graduate that they thought were going to graduate, and now they're up against it. And it just didn't look – I wish it would have been more clear at the from the outset, A, that when they told Abe, they would have told him maybe in advance that, you know, Abe, we may have to use your scholarship, and once we do it, do this, you will never be allowed to play for USC again. I don't think that was clear at the very outset. It seems to be clear now that the only way he could play next year at USC is if he gets some sort of specific exemption from the NCAA, some sort of hardship agreement where the NCAA says in this particular case, because of the issues uh, involved in in his situation and because the totally unreasonableness of the 15 scholarships a year that we put on USC, as long as USC stays under the 75, 75 or under, he's okay. But the only way that can happen is if he gets some sort of uh, appeal through and there have those, the, the appeals have been made not by USC, but by the Markowitz family directly to Mark Emmert, president of the NCAA. One would think that USC would be leading the charge to try to intervene. I mean, for God's sakes, they've got enough uh, chits with the NCAA at this point. I mean, USC could not have been more gracious, more accepting, more reasonable it would seem that this would be the kind of thing that the USC Athletic Department could approach the NCAA on and say, we're going to stay under 75, we're not going to exceed that number, but we really think this kid deserves an exemption if he gets the medical waiver. And we'd like to be able to apply for his medical waiver, but we're not allowed to based on the rules. And we think the rules ought to be more student-athlete-friendly and, 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 and more directed to what's the best thing for this kid, not what's the best for, uh, you know, bureaucrats whose uh, emails we're covering up, you know? I mean, I, I, that would be my way of handling this, uh, to say that that's not the way USC's done anything, any single thing in this whole uh, sordid NCAA history. Uh, is an understatement. I mean, they just that's not what USC's been doing. Maybe uh, somebody will fool us and they'll actually, uh, you know, stand up for Abe. Uh, if they don't, look for Abe to be the starting center at University of Hawaii against USC in the opener next year in Honolulu. <laughs> at least he'll, he'll get a chance to be a, a homecoming for Abe. But uh, that's, that's where this could end up, and it's really sad. All he wants to do is finish his career as a Trojan, and he'd pay his way if he could. It's it's really sad. And one important note, Dan. I mean, yeah, that I mean, what we reported in the war room by NCAA rules, he can't get a scholarship back. It would have to be some kind of exception. So, I mean, that's pretty clear. Well, and he can't play. Yeah, he can't just not only get his scholarship back. He can't play. No, he can't be he on can't the team. Pay his way. There's nothing he can do. His career is over. USC ended his career, and they didn't exactly make it all that clear as to how and why, and I don't think Abe knew for a long time. I mean, couldn't get an exact answer. And there are people in the USC Athletic Department for a while were saying, 
well, maybe it's not irrevocable. I don't you know. And it was, it's, it's not been well handled. And I think if you see it, when we talked about the scholarship sanctions early on and, and who it really hurts and the walk-ons completely get screwed in, in the situation, I think you see the Abe Markowitz situation come up here. But now when you saw what happened with Kylie Fitz and if USC is at, say, 72 or 73 scholarships, and normally you could say, hey, it's free to give a scholarship to a walk-on. Well, if it's a walk-on that's not graduating early, you might question that because USC has the opportunity to bring it up to five early enrollees for the class of 2014. And if you don't have enough players graduating early, you could have the same kind of situation that happened with Kylie Fitz. And you can't let a guy get come in early because there's no one leaving early to trade spots with. So maybe they don't give up one of those scholarships to a, a, to a walk-on that's deserving because they're going to need it come early signing period they want someone to come in for basically you need that scholarship just for spring ball it's not even for the season so i mean there's there's other problems that have popped up because of all of this well i mean they were able to for example kyle negretti could get one because he graduated at the end of the first semester so that worked out perfectly his scholarship became available for an early entry kid uh next year you know i could make a case heck i'd give one to you know Ryan Dillard. I don't. I think he's as good as any any cornerback. They've you know they've got in the program. To be honest with you, but he's a first year walk on. So if you give one to Ryan Dillard, you're basically giving one. You know that's a that's a re, like a real scholarship. Yeah. So that would take away. That's an initial award. So that takes away. You know from the number that they've got. You know the five early entries or the. And I keep saying now, if they lose a player, like you know who gets in trouble with the law for example, and there's just no way you can save him. In effect, that's losing a scholarship because uh, you're going to have to give one of your, you know, 20 next year to replace him because you can't, you know, there's no other way really to replace that. So now you're, you're down to 19 for next year. I mean, in some ways, if USC loses a player, but that's completely unexpectedly a loss for something unforeseen. Uh, that cuts into next year's scholarship numbers in terms of uh, how many new bodies are, are really in the program because one or two or however many guys you lose unexpectedly, all that you're doing is replacing them. Uh, so, uh, you know, I keep saying this. I've said it a million times. USC should have fought the NCAA on the administration of the penalties. They should have said, we will agree to 75 scholarships. It's the, the, the most severe penalty in NCAA history until Penn State for three years, but we will not agree to 15 a year. That's, uh, that's a, a restraint that would make it impossible. I mean, the NCAA said 75, but they wanted to get USC down into the 60s. They really, I mean, you could have a car accident and get five kids knocked out uh, it couldn't play, and you couldn't replace them. I mean, it's just, you know, the NCAA wanted to damage USC in ways that they've never tried with anybody ever before, and uh, and they, they punished USC excessively, taking it down to 15 a year, because if they'd only penalized USC down to 20 a year, which would have been a, a minus five every year, uh, that would have not penalized USC because USC didn't cheat. USC in the four years before 
the um, uh, penalties were rendered in 2010 had given out, I think, 81 uh, scholarships compared to like 130 for Alabama and LSU and Texas A&M, where obviously kids just get lost. You know, they oversign and then run them off. So you take one of those teams and knock them down to 20 a year, that's a real penalty. But because USC was a good citizen in college football and didn't cheat, didn't run kids off, they got a worse penalty. Think about the precedent there. You're a good citizen. You get penalized extra. Imagine, think about the minds involved in, in, in doing that because USC didn't cheat, didn't treat kids badly. They get extra penalties, which have real-world implications now with a Markowitz and Kylie Fitz. This is why one of the reasons you'd love to see the emails get published, to see if how the NCAA came up with the penalties, how those people on the committee and the staff people back and forth made their decisions about the USC case. It would be very interesting to see how that went. Dan, I know we've gone a little long, but I wanted you to address this one last one, if that's okay. Um, sure. People don't mind on the podcast world, right? Hopefully not. Uh, it's from David Allen. Uh, he says, whether it's fully deserved or not, Lane Kiffin doesn't have the best reputation with the media, especially nationally. Why doesn't USC and Lane work on rehabilitating his image? It's a good question. I mean, I, I know there are people who think, oh, you know, how many of those posts here? Oh, you hate Lane. You know, that, uh, Honestly, I've spent a lot of time uh, uh, attacking the uh, the way the media has portrayed Lane because it's an easy story and, and what have you. I mean, I thought he was treated unfairly after the uh, you know the coaches uh, Paul vote, uh, and uh, I don't think his side of the story uh, you know it wasn't the smartest thing the way he did it, but it wasn't a bad thing. He was just trying to do too much, and, and he's probably been guilty of, you know, trying to do too much or trying to figure things out, you know, too too finely. But that doesn't make him a bad guy in any way. And there, he just, uh, you know, I don't think it makes him a bad guy that he, when he, you know, went to the first uh, SEC media day and they asked him about, have you ever been around college football programs like, you know, you're around now in the SEC? And Lane said, well, I was at USC. We were like really pretty good. We had a program that, you know, I would put up against anybody. They hated that. They wanted to kill. I mean, that, that got him off to the, you know, and then he, he probably overcompensated and, and got himself into, you know, maybe more trouble. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it didn't look like they were giving him much help at Tennessee either. Uh, and it doesn't look like at USC sometimes he's been protected maybe enough. For example, I don't know why they don't do two, you know, maybe it's Lane's, you know, decision, and we don't know this, and maybe, we'll, you know, these are things you can never ask, but when you do the um, the video, uh, the TV guys, for example, who are recording everything, and the press people at the very same time, there's always the danger if you do something or say something, you can't take it back. Now, Pete never, Pete did them separately, and that was smart, because, you know, he might get to a point where he would say, you know, I'll tell you the answer there, but don't write it down. I mean, you wouldn't do that with the with the uh, TV guys, you know, cameras on it. But 
you get to the, you know, with the beat guys and that, you find there might be a question that comes up and say, okay, here's what I can tell you about that right now, but I wouldn't want this reported. It's, you know, we haven't determined this or, you know, we don't know the answer to that or I, I, it's just we can't put it out there, but I'll tell you so you know. If you do them all at once after practice, you really hit, you know, those situations where Lane, you know, got, got himself in the jackpot like this year. Uh, and uh, it doesn't seem as well handled as I, uh, I would advise them to handle it uh, with him being such a lightning rod. I mean, as, you know, Pat has now said, he's the anti-Teflon, uh, you know, guy and where everything sticks to him. Uh, and it, it just, it's so easy to make the case against Lane. Uh, and, you know, again, very unfairly. I mean, a lot of the recruiting stories, for example, I thought completely missed or almost unfairly reported how US, about USC's decommitments without ever really taking into consideration probably the best early entry class in the history of college football. Uh, I just think that's unfair, and that's unfair to Lane, and that's par for the course, unfortunately. People wanted to get on the the bandwagon, and and there they go. The question I guess you have to ask is, do you get to a point where even if it is kind of unfair in all of this, do you get to a point and you say, man, I don't know, it's not ever going to change. How do you change it? I mean, one way, by winning a whole lot of football games. Uh, other than that, it's very difficult to change, uh, to, you know, to change the course of, you know, the, the trajectory of this story. I mean, I think one of the first ways is you got to win, you know, win your team, get them on your side. You really got to get, you know, get the guys playing for you who really, really, really want to play for you. They know who you are. They know what you want them to do. They know what you expect of them. They know what they can do, and they're free to do it. And then they look at you and say, thanks, Coach. You know, that's what we needed. I think you need a lot of that right now, and uh, we'll see. I mean, they've got a, got a few weeks to kind of, you know, figure it out and get moving in the right direction. I mean, they've just got a whole lot to do, though, with, with the coaching slots open. And, I mean, just getting ready for this Nike Coaches Clinic this week. I don't know how they do that. I mean, with you know, a lot of it is focused on the USC staff and what they believe and how they do things, and they're they're not here. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know, Dan. Well, that was a really long segment for the podcast, but hopefully, people enjoyed it. There was a lot going on, and uh, we thank you very much for coming on and sharing all your insights, Dan. Thanks. I uh, I enjoyed it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After yesterday. And on the Paris Dow, we'll see. Oh, yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting bashed, too. Day. Dan's getting bashed on the Paris Dow for being negative. I post some breaking news about they, you know, attempting to hire a coach, and I'm getting bashed because he wasn't hired, so I'm being negative. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's just the way it is right now around USC, so we'll have to see what, what goes on in the future. We're going to try to do a recruiting podcast a little bit later on in the week, so stay tuned for that. Otherwise, we'll see you next week on Monday for a regular edition of the Paris Dow podcast. Thanks to Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde, and we'll talk to you all next week.
You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.